Clemson fan, you too. Ah, nobody? Okay, nice. It took, it took a while. Um, man, I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning worshiping uh, with us. Um, I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Um, I know there's people still traveling, still making their way back, so uh, be praying for them. And for those of you who have traveled and come back, glad you made it back safely. I hope it was a great uh, special time with friends and family. Um, and so really excited to be here today. If you have your Bibles, um, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm excited this morning for a few reasons. I'm always obviously excited to be worshiping with our Origins family. Being here, I'm always excited to be able to, to teach um, and to be able to do that. Um, but I'm also excited because I got a brand new Bible for Christmas. And some people think I'm silly, but I'm just going to nerd out a little bit. This Bible's legit, all right? Now, I don't know if you're kind of like me. John would know. John has the same Bible. I actually copied him. But, I mean, genuine leather, so it's going to last a long time. The font is perfect to where I can see it. There's plenty of room for writing and making notes. Um, It's great. So, thank you to my in-laws for doing that. Um, If you don't own a Bible or... Um, if you're thinking about getting a new one, man, get a good one. Spend money on it, right? I mean, it's your Bible, right? Like, we spend money on a lot of other different things, but like, man, spend some money, get a good Bible, read it, of course, write in it, um, use it, and then, you know, what better gift one day to be able to pass down to like a kid or, you know, your child or your grandkid or something like that. Um, and so, okay, my, my rant's over about my Bible, but, um, but so I'm excited to be able to, 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 be able to teach today. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to pray for us after I read that, and then we will dive in. Verses 1 through 11, it says, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven And it said that you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you uh, for these amazing people that have come out, uh, Father, um, and and decided just to worship with your family uh, today. Father, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word. Pray that this would be a special time, that it would be uh, a time just to equip all of us uh, to uh, this would be a time where people can feel uh, ministered to, um, spoken to, people that can hear uh, from your word and that can hear, uh, Father, from your spirit. So I just pray, God, that you would uh, just do something special in each and every one of our lives here in this moment. 
that you would speak to us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So over the last month, we have been celebrating uh, the season of Advent, uh, the season of remembering uh, that God became a man, uh, that God came to this earth in the form of a baby, um, and he would, uh, he would come, and, and, and you know, what we celebrated last Wednesday was you know, the birth of Jesus. And so you know, uh, when we think about Jesus and when we think about you know, who he is and what he came uh, to do, you know, what we celebrated over the Christmas holiday, this God being incarnate, or Emmanuel, the word that gets thrown a lot during the Christmas season, uh, God with us. Um, If you're anything like me, uh, then you might suffer from Christmas withdrawals. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, for for 30 days, or, you know, for some of us even 60, if you're a November 1st person, uh, you know, we've been, the Christmas season has been building up, and, you know, we, we decorate, and we go to the Christmas parade here in Greenville, maybe you do, and it's a great parade, and, or uh, we start shopping, we're doing all, all of these things, and we start to, you know, practice these traditions, and, um, and we're putting decorations up, and then you're, you know, binging your favorite Christmas movies, or uh, for me, binging all the, the Christmas episodes of The Office or other favorite TV shows that you have. And so that's usually kind of my tradition. And so we have all these awesome things, and then you have Christmas Eve, um, and it's, an, it's awesome, and it's building up. And then Christmas Day is incredible. Um, and then usually Christmas Day evening and the morning after, if you're like me and you kind of start to think, well, now what? Like, it's, it's over. And you kind of start to grieve as you're taking down Christmas decorations. I'm really happy that Old Cigar Warehouse left theirs up because um, I'm, a, I'm a December 31st. Uh, Christmas, leave your decorations up till New Year's. But, um, and so, you know, there's, there's this kind of this process of like kind of grieving and we get upset because now everything that we've been looking forward to and everything that's taken place over the last 30 days is over. And then we move on and it's a new year. And then, you know, kind of where do we go from here? And if we're not careful, I know for me at, at least, um, I can kind of get in the habit of worshiping Jesus as a baby uh, one month out of the year but then, you know, the other 11 months out of the year, like John's saying, like, he was a grown man, right? He had a beard. And so Jesus did grow up, Ricky Bobby. And so, you know, and so, and, and so I, for one, I kind of get in the habit of just kind of, you know, thinking about Jesus, thinking about the Advent season and, uh, you know, God becoming man and coming here in the form of a baby. I tend to think of that as, you know, maybe one month out of the year and then the rest of the year, I don't really do that. Um, and so, you know, and so I want us to kind of think well about what we can do as far as moving forward and trying to think of a, you know, a Sunday message for the week after Christmas. You're kind of like, well, what do we talk about now? You know, the new year is exciting. And so um, I couldn't really think of a better time to spend uh, or a better place to spend our time this morning than Mark chapter one, Um, because Mark was written, uh, he was written by a guy named John Mark, John Mark was a disciple of Peter, so a lot of what you read in the Gospel of Peter's um, experiences or the point of view uh, of Peter when you're reading uh, the book of Mark. And so uh, Mark is one of the shortest of the four Gospels. Uh, it's, it's very short. One of the interesting things about Mark is that it doesn't contain uh, a birth account. Like there's nothing uh, in Mark's Gospel about uh, baby Jesus or, or him as a teenager. It kind of jumps right into uh, the beginning or the start of Jesus's ministry. And so, um, but, you know, it's not, it's not that Mark just left that out because he didn't think it was important. Obviously, the other Gospels cover those sorts of accounts, but I think 
you know, Mark's intention for writing this gospel is that he wanted to spend most of his focus um, on, on proclaiming who Jesus was, the deity of Jesus, and that is that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so I wanted to kind of start off this talk uh, this morning by just kind of looking a little bit at, about who Jesus is, like who is this Jesus. And in verse 1, as we've read before, I'll read it again. It says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the first thing he says. He, he says that he's the Son of God. We know from the Bible that Jesus was a carpenter, um, but he was also a rabbi. He was a teacher. He had followers. Most rabbis and teachers would have disciples, little disciples, and they would follow them. So he was a, he was a, um, he was a teacher. Um, he would uh, began to perform, you know, incredible signs and miracles, such as healing people and providing for people's needs. Um, but most importantly, Jesus came and he taught about the kingdom of God. And he talked about the kingdom of God, and he claimed to be the Messiah who would come and save people from their sins. And and, and, and for anybody that would come to him and believe in him, right, he would grant eternal life to those who put their faith in him. Um, because of these claims, he would soon be arrested and be put to death on a cross. Uh, but then he would raise to life on the third day, defeating sin and death, proving that he was, as Mark proclaims here in verse 1, the Son of God. So um, Jesus' name was given to him. Uh, it wasn't a name that Mary came up with. An angel, you know, visited Mary, right? We remember the Christmas story. An angel shows up and meets Mary and says, you're going to have a son and you're going to call his name Jesus. So they're told to name him uh, Jesus. This, uh, the word Jesus uh, in Hebrew, it, um, it's, it's almost pronounced Yeshua or even Joshua in English. But the word Jesus literally means Yahweh is salvation. So even in his name, even in the name of Jesus, it means Yahweh is salvation. And then Jesus Christ, the word Christ, meaning Messiah or anointed one, right? And so because of this is who he is, this is his name, this is his deity, we know that he is now worthy of our worship and he is worthy of our lives. And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, then you have taken these things as truth, you've believed in them, you've put your faith in them, and, and now you, uh, you're, you're pretty much saying, like, Jesus is worthy of, uh, of my life. Like, he's, he's worthy of not only my worship, not only my praise, but he's also worthy of my life. And I just want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, man, whatever Jesus asks of you, whatever he tells you to do, wherever he tells you to go, whoever he tells you to minister to, whatever he asks of you, whatever that looks like for you in your life, say yes. Just say yes. And, and, and obviously, sometimes we say yes to things that we don't even know what we're saying yes to until it happens. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you've already proclaimed the fact that Jesus is worthy of your worship, um, but he's worthy of your life, then begin trying to position yourself, position your heart in a place of just laying your yes on the table. And anytime Jesus asks anything of you and you're, you know, you're confident through spending time in God's word, spending time with prayer and seeking wise counsel from other people that love God and that are pursuing after him. Man, if you're confident that the Lord is telling you to do something, absolutely 100% do it. Don't hold back. You can be confident um, that he can do that. I love the, the quote um, that maybe you've heard before, but you know, it says that you know, Jesus is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord, at, he isn't Lord at all. A lot of times we want to give 
Jesus kind of sections of our life. I don't know if, if you're one of those people that eat out of the plates that have like the sections to where your food doesn't touch because that, that messes with your mind. Um, but, but like that's not, that's not the life of a disciple. You know, it's all on one plate. It's all jumbled together. We say yes to Jesus and he becomes Lord of everything of our lives. When we look at, uh, you know, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, uh, verses 1 and verses 11, uh, they kind of almost serve as like a sandwich, on almost. And the loaves of bread on this sandwich, uh, which um, I like to think of as ciabatta bread because I love ciabatta bread, but if the loaves of bread on this sandwich uh, of, of, of chapter 1, verses 1 and 11 would almost be like the identity of Jesus because it starts off by, by Mark saying that Jesus is the Son of God and then it ends with this beautiful picture of Jesus being baptized by John and then coming up out of the water and the clouds parting and then you hear an audible voice from God who looks down and he says, this is my beloved son whom I love, whom I am well pleased. And so you have this amazing sandwich of, of, of the identity of Jesus and his deity and who he is at the beginning and at the end of this passage. And so um, it's just an amazing picture. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, that Jesus is who he said he was. He will soon prove that um, by the life that he lives and by dying on a cross and raising to life, he will prove his deity. But as of right now, uh, we see a proclamation by, Mar by Mark, and then we see God the Father affirming this pretty, pretty clearly, quite clearly um, here. Um, most of the time that we're going to spend in today is going to be in verses 2 through 8. And in verses 2 through 8, we're introduced to an interesting guy, and his name is John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, um, the first time we learn about John the Baptist is actually right um, after Mary uh, discovers that she's pregnant. The angel visits Mary, and so the first thing that Mary does is she runs to her sister Elizabeth, and, and, and Elizabeth at, th at this time is pregnant with Jesus's cousin John, and so John is in the womb, and then when Mary and, and Elizabeth meet, uh, John inside of Elizabeth, Elizabeth's womb literally leaps for joy, right? They, they meet each other, Elizabeth, and she sees Mary, and as soon as she sees Mary, John, who is, who is just a fetus at this time, he's just, a, he's just a fetus. I don't know if he even knew what was going on or, you know, or what he was doing, but you can see just, just the special connection between John and Jesus and something that was going to bind them even more than just simply being cousins, but man, they, there was a spiritual connection between the two. John knew what was going on he knew what was happening. It was obvious that John had a calling on his life, that God was going to use John in an incredible way. Um, he wouldn't know what that would look like now, but we see that as John uh, grows up, the Lord calls John to, to connect um, uh, or to, to pave this way for Jesus. Uh, John would technically be the, the last Old Testament prophet in a sense. Um, because he would come, he would be the last prophet. In the Old Testament, we see prophets that are, you know, uh, proclaiming, and they're, they're, they're telling us what it's going to look like when the Messiah comes, and so they're proclaiming the good news, and they're saying, you know, the Messiah is coming, make way, and so we see even uh, here that Mark is quoting uh, a verse from Isaiah 40, and also in Malachi 3.1, where God is telling his people, he said, I'm going to send you a messenger, I'm going to send you somebody who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come, Right? And he's going to come and he's going to prepare uh, the way. Uh, so this is the role that we see that John the Baptist has. Prepare people for Jesus. Prepare people for the coming Messiah. What a job. 
right? What a job to prepare people for, uh, for the coming Messiah and to come. So John was pretty much like almost like the opening act. If you've been to a concert or, or you know, like a comedy show, there's always that first act. Who's really, you're really just there to see the person you paid money for, but he's kind of that, that opening act almost. Um, and this morning, I want to talk about maybe two things that we can learn from John the Baptist. So two things that, that I think we can learn from John the Baptist. The first one being that John prepared people's hearts to meet Jesus. It's the first thing we can see from John the Baptist and from his life is that he prepared people's hearts to meet Jesus. Verses 4 and 5, we can read those again. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country in Judea and Jerusalem were going up out, out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Right? So John was calling people to repentance. One of John's, one of his favorite lines, the thing that you're going to hear John say a lot is, is, uh, is, 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 to make, is to prepare yourself get ready, the kingdom of God is at hand, which means it's, it's coming, the kingdom of God is at hand, so we have, we have to get ready, prepare your hearts, um, repent of sin, prepare yourself, consecrate yourself, get ready because the Messiah is coming, and he's coming soon, right? So we have to, you know, prepare, and he keeps saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and it's funny because then when Jesus shows up soon, uh, that, that, that message is a little bit different because then Jesus says, he says, what? Repent because the kingdom of God is here, right? It's now. So the kingdom, John came, he prepared you. The kingdom of God was at hand, but now it's here. Now it's now, right? And so, but so we see that John's purpose in doing this, um, you know, it wasn't to save people, but it was to call people towards repentance and readiness so they could receive salvation when Jesus arrives. Uh, but not just repentance. Um, repentance wasn't really the end goal. To repent of sin literally just means to stop what you're doing, to turn away from what you were formerly doing and do something else, to change your way, to change even your mind. Scripture talks a lot about, you know, repentance isn't just changing of action. It's not just changing your behavior and not doing you know, habits anymore, but it's literally changing your mind, changing everything that you think about things, changing everything and changing the way that you see things, the way that you view things, and then we allow scripture to inform us, and scripture tells us this is how you see things, this is how you think now, this is how, this is how you're going to think, this is how you're going to process stuff, and so repentance doesn't just look like, all right, I'm going to stop doing this, it looks a whole lot like, you know, I'm going to stop thinking this way, and I'm going to start thinking in a new way, I'm going to start thinking the way that scripture tells me, and I'm going to allow scripture to inform the way I think about things, the way I believe about things, and all of that. Um, but repentance wasn't just like the, the end goal for John, right? Because scripture tells us in verse 4, it says, he said he was preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins was the, that was the end goal. Forgiveness of sins was, was the main goal. This is what, what we're trying to accomplish. It's not just simply repentance, but it's the fact that repentance is going to lead to the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness, I looked, at, I, was, I was reading through uh, Bible Logos, which is like a, um, it's like a source where you can study scripture and get some commentary, and uh, they define forgiveness in this way. It says, uh, forgiveness means the removal or cancellation of an obligation or barrier of guilt. I know it's a little wordy, uh, but 
it refers to God's gracious act, God's gracious act whereby sins as a debt are canceled based on Christ's sacrificial death, right? So this is, this is forgiveness. It's the fact that sins, that debt is absolutely canceled based on Christ's work, based on um, the act that he did, based on his, his life, his death, and his resurrection through his sacrificial death. That's what forgiveness means. Um, in Matthew uh, 26, 28 through 29, Jesus says this during uh, the Last Supper. This is the Last Supper that he has with his disciples, and he says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for their forgiveness of sins. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this right before he goes to the cross. He's saying, he's saying for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. And so that I believe that this is what fueled John for his ministry. What fueled John for his ministry was the fact of people being forgiven of their sins. He wouldn't claim to be the Messiah. He would never claim to be able to forgive people of their sins, but he, he made way, he allowed people the opportunity to prepare for their sins to be forgiven. That was his fuel. That's what motivated John, was to see people become forgiven of their sins. Um, man, John's purpose we also see is, man, is also just proclamation, right? This saying the kingdom of God is at hand. John just went everywhere just proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming everything that he knew, proclaiming the word that the Lord had given him. He proclaimed the gospel. He made sure that everybody knew that the Messiah was on his way, right? He didn't want to give anybody an excuse to miss it or to not see it coming. Um, he proclaimed it everywhere that he went. Um, I'm sure people probably even thought the same things that we do today. I'm sure people were thinking, hearing John speak and think, man, like we got plenty of time. Messiah's probably not going to show up anytime soon. And when he does, then we'll be ready. But, you know, I could probably sense there's maybe like a lack of urgency. I think I see that a lot even today in our world, and I think it'll always be this way. It's just that lack of urgency of always, uh, there's always going to be more time. I'm always going to have more time. And then, you know, when that time comes, I'll be ready, Right? So we see this, I'm, I'm sure we probably saw that today, or I'm sure or we, he probably, John probably saw that in these days too, but it doesn't work that way, right? Because, you know, you know we, don't, we don't know when the Messiah is coming back, just like they didn't know when the Messiah was showing up, and, you know, when you, in that constant state of just lacking urgency, lacking passion, um, continuing to put something off, I believe it becomes even harder to be able to receive something when it actually occurs. And so, unfortunately, that's not the way things work. So, number one, John prepared people's hearts to meet Jesus. And then two, John pointed others to Jesus. John pointed others to Jesus. I'm going to read verses six through eight again. It says, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. Uh, we don't have to look too far into this. Obviously, he was hard to miss in a crowd, um, but basically the way he, he acted, the way he dressed uh, would, would kind of signify him as, as a prophet. Usually Old Testament prophets, you hear similar things, and so this was John kind of um, pretty much playing, playing the role. Um, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I love about John, John's intention was never to draw people to himself. Like that's, man, if you could see, 
Like, I see that more in John the Baptist than I have any of Jesus' disciples, anybody else, is the fact that, man, John never intended to draw crowds to see him. He never, he never uh, desired or it was never his intention to, to build crowds that would come and, and admire him or follow him. It wasn't his desire to gain uh, followers and gain, and gain crowds of people. His intention was always to point other people to Jesus, always to point other people to Jesus. And if you don't hear anything else uh, for the rest of this uh, message, then hear this, that John came to deflect all glory to the one who was worthy, right? He came to deflect all that glory to the one who was worthy. I'm I'm sure people looked at John and they probably saw him sometimes as even the Messiah, and they began to follow after him, and they began to admire him, and the way that, you know, he did things, and the way he said things, and so everybody was kind of drawn to him, but we see that he was always deflecting that glory. He was always going to deflect the glory to the one who was worthy. I don't hear, um, you know, anything else, you know, if you don't hear anything else today, um, hear that. I love John 3.30. This is an incredible life verse. Uh, John 3.30, Jesus' ministry uh, is beginning to grow, it's beginning to spread, um, and uh, Jesus is beginning to attract more and more followers as his ministry begins, and uh, a lot of people begin uh, to leave John and go and follow Jesus. And so these people, they they approach John, and they're like, are you not offended that all your friends don't want to hang out with you anymore? They want to go hang out with Jesus. They're, they're leaving you. They're not following you anymore. They're going to follow this guy named Jesus. Are you not upset? Does that not offend you? Or does that not upset you? And his response is this. In John 3.30, his response is, he must increase and I must decrease. Right? What better life first than that? Much better than, you know, I can do all things. Through, you know, it's like, no. Like, he must, he must increase, I must decrease. In other words, other translations say, like, I must become less. He must become greater. Like what is, and John's intent, the way he lived his life was how can I live in such a way that I become less and that Christ becomes greater? You know, not only to me, but to where other people can see that as well. I must increase, or he must increase and I must decrease. I love that verse. Um, You know, this was, uh, if we read uh, verse seven, you know, and it says, you know, and he preached saying after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Man, he's talking, this was, you know, this was a task that not even masters would require their slaves to do because it was that, like, lowly of a task to bend down and to take somebody's shoes off to unstrap somebody's sandals. And here John is saying, man, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie Jesus' sandals, right? You just see this, this lowliness. You see this humbleness of John and in him just the desire to elevate uh, and proclaim uh, Jesus. And then in, in verse 8, uh, you know, I'll read it again. It says, and I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you uh, with the Holy Spirit. So John knew that he was not the Messiah. He knew that he wasn't capable of saving people of their sins. He knew that he wasn't capable of giving these people what they, they truly needed, right? He knew that it was his role not to forgive people or to save people, but he knew that it was his role to show people the one who could, to point other people to the one who could save them of their sins. John said, I baptize with water, right? There's nothing special about water, right? Sorry, Carrie Underwood, there's nothing, there's nothing in the water, right? There's nothing special about 
that, you know, baptism, we do baptism, we practice that here as a church, and, 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 what, and you know, what we're saying when we're doing this is we're, it's basically a symbol, right? We say it's usually an outer, an outer symbol of an inward change. It's just showing people, like, I have decided to follow Jesus, and I want to proclaim that to everybody, and I want to take that next step in baptism. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us in 2019, um, but this was a way of showing people, I've decided to follow Jesus. He's now the Lord of my life, and I want to, and I want to tell everybody, right? And so there's nothing about, you know, there's nothing special about the water being, you know, dunked in the water, and he says, you know, Jesus would come, you know, and he says, I baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to come, and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's going to change your hearts. He's going to change you from the inside out. He's going to, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which means he's going to give you new life. He's going to put a new spirit in you, and he's going to, to change you and make you um, into something new, into something greater. He's going to give you new life. So, John's, uh, two things we can learn from John. He prepared people's hearts to meet Jesus, and then number two, he pointed others to Jesus. Um, and when we think about these things, and we think about our response and what this means for us, um, you know, I want to ask, you know, the question, how are we preparing people to meet Jesus? Um, obviously, it doesn't look the same way that John did that, but I think there is some application for us and how we can prepare people to encounter the love of Christ. You know, it's our, it's our responsibility as disciples of Christ to pave the way for Jesus and to do all that's within our power to prepare people's hearts uh, for Jesus to save them. And so the first thing that usually you know, I want to ask and the first thing that we kind of look at as, as followers of Jesus is, man, what does our prayer life look like? Like, what does our prayer life look like? It says in John 12, 32, Jesus says, and I when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw people to myself. In other words, God draws people, but it's our job to pray that God would continue to draw people. It's, it's our job to pray that God would draw our, our lost brothers and sisters, people that we're friends with that are you know, close to us but far from God. It's our, God, it's our job to pray that the Lord would, would draw them to himself, that he would slowly draw them um, to that's because that's what God says he's going to do. He says, I'm going to draw people to myself. It's his job to draw them, but we have to pray that he would do that. Um, man, he draws people, and he does it by his Holy Spirit. He just constantly pursues after people. He constantly uh, just reaches out and tugs people's hearts towards himself, and it's just a beautiful picture. And so, you know, we pray that he would continue to do that, and we pray for people by name um, that God would draw them. We have to be, you know, just absolutely just begging God that he would save um, people that we know that are far from him. Um, and then the next thing we have to do is we have to spend time with people who are far from God. It's hard to pray for people that are far from God if you don't know anybody who's far from God. And so, you know, we have to spend time with people far from God. And so we, we, we begin to, to live on mission. We don't see people as projects, right? We see people as people. You know, we don't see people as projects, but then we begin to live intentionally um, everything that we're doing. It doesn't mean we change our schedule. It doesn't mean we put more stuff on the calendar. It just means that everything that we're doing, whatever lane that you are driving in, um, it just means we do that with different intentionality. We, we live, we eat, uh, we breathe Jesus, and we continue to do the same things that we've always done. But we do it with that intentionality, praying that God would give us an opportunity to share um, that truth um, with other people. You know, I think we should, you know, we should get in the habit of making it easy for people to come to Jesus. And I didn't say that it's, it's, it's easy 
like we should you know, make it easy for people to, to say yes to him or, or, or make people think that it's easy to follow him. But what I am saying is that um, we should continually give people an opportunity to be able to respond to the gospel. I think a lot of times we can continue to put more hoops and hurdles in front of people by saying, hey, like if you come to a community group on this night of the week at this time, um, at this day, and you sit in a crowd of people that you don't know, then maybe you can hear the gospel. Or if you come uh, to the old cigar warehouse at this address at 9.30 a.m., then you'll hear the gospel, um, and, and maybe you'll decide to give your life to Christ. Like, that's, in my mind, it's creating hoops and hurdles for people, and it makes it harder for people to say yes. But when we're the ones taking the gospel to them, when we're the ones just living in, with gospel intentionality in our everyday lives, wherever we go, live, work, and play, that's, that's what it looks like to make it easy for people to say yes to him because we're taking it to them. We're not asking anything more of them. I don't understand why lost people would want to come, you know, to, to a Sunday morning gathering with people that they don't know. And some do. You know, some people are seeking him, and so they do find themselves, you know, coming to a community group looking for that or Sunday. But for most people, they don't, they don't know it's a need that they have. Um, so living with that gospel intentionality, praying that God gives you an opportunity to share it. Um, you know, I think we should, um, man, yeah, I, I think, I'll, I'll move on. I don't want to get off topic, but um, so uh, how are we preparing people to meet Jesus? And then second, are we living a life that points others to Jesus? Um, this may sound silly to say, and you might think, well, yeah, duh, but, you know, we're not, we're not the Messiah, right? We're not, we're not Jesus. You know, we're not, we're not God. We don't have the saving power uh, to, to draw people in and to save people of their sins. But I think a lot of times we almost act as if we do. Uh, a lot of times we're kind of, uh, we, we find ourselves uh, drawing people towards ourself, uh, gaining people and trying to gain friends, trying to, you know, how can we get people to like us or to respect us and, and come to us with their problems and with their issues. And sometimes we think that we have the power of, of giving people what they need and, and, and we continue to, you know, in a good, with good intentionality, trying to help people and try to provide for needs. But a lot of times we kind of think like it's, it's within our power to give them what they need when it's not. It's our job to continue to push people towards the Savior, push people towards people, or push people towards um, the only one who is capable of saving them. That's what John did. John, John confessed. He said, I'm not the Messiah. Uh, he's coming, but I'm not him, but I'm going to point other people towards him. And we have to do the same thing. So are we attracting other people to ourself, or are we pointing people to Jesus? Um, I think, man, I th this is just a super convicting passage, and I, and I, and I love uh, reading the life of John and just seeing his humility um, and, and the fact that he didn't claim to be the Messiah, nor did he claim to be able to save people, but, man, he just pointed people to others who could. Um, man, for us, at least, I want to encourage us to do a couple things. If you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you've been following him for a long time, or maybe you've just, uh, just started a relationship with Jesus, I think, man, start from a place of just believing that God can use you to prepare uh, others for, for, for Christ that God can use you to pave that way for other people to come and know him. Um, believe that he can do that. Pray that God would use, would use you to do that, but at the same time, knowing that you're only capable of doing so much, we have to point other people to him. Um, and if you're not a follower um, of Jesus, uh, man, you can, you can make that decision today. Um, I'd love to talk to you about that. Neil would uh, find somebody, and we'd love to have that conversation. So you can begin um, that relationship 
uh, with Christ. Uh, let me pray for us real quick, uh, and then I've got some announcements, and then uh, we'll send you guys on your way. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that John the Baptist has set for us. We thank you, Father, that, um, man, that you can call any of us, Lord, to prepare uh, people's hearts and minds to receive Jesus. Uh, Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for saving us. Lord, for those of us who have decided to follow you, Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done in our life. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the joy that's found in that, the hope that's found in that. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would just continue to work in us. Lord, I pray that we would see it as our mission to point other people to you. Father, to deflect all glory and honor and praise to the one who is worthy, and that's Jesus. Father, allow us to do that. Father, thank you for this city. Thank you for this church. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, just for sending your son Jesus here. Uh, Father, for this purpose of, of showing other people who you are, telling other people who you are. Father, so that many might be saved. Uh, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.